This is Jay Moss, producer, uh, guitar player of Definition, ex-defeater, and you are listening to The New Scene. everybody and welcome to the new scene i am your host keith and we're back with a brand new episode and in the guest host chair today i've got joseph m edwards of take today joe welcome to the show thanks for having me keith joe it's great to have you here you know i don't think i've had a an in-depth conversation with you since i guess around the time i left philly in 2012 yeah i feel like it's been quite a while i mean we've managed to keep in touch throughout the years here and there little bits but it's been a while since we've seen each other and really talked yeah you know and a lot has changed joe since those uh last weeks you saw me in philly i remember being a complete mess (laughs) and then i moved but you know what we'll get to all that we'll get to all that we'll catch up but we've got a great show for you today everybody we have Jay Navarro of The Suicide Machines. And I'm very excited about this one. I just caught The Suicide Machines live for the first time in New York City. Uh, What was that? Back in October, they played with Dead Guy and Avail. What a show. And I was blown away by The Suicide Machines. I don't think I ever really heard them in depth, but I was blown away by the performance. And now Jay is on the show, and I'm really excited about it. And you're going to love this conversation. We cover everything. The band... The ska revival that's happening right now, fighting neo-Nazis, seeing Gigi Allen on acid. You're not going to believe this conversation. You've heard it, Joe, right? Absolutely. It's its the, the greatest thing I think about Jay is that he's always a straight shooter. No bullshit. Like He keeps it real. And the, the stories he tells is just incredible. Yeah. And this one goes like, like we cover a, a lot of topics. There's a lot of great stories. There's a lot of great stuff about the band. And that's coming up shortly. But first... Here's how you can support the new scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Buy one of our shirts at Deathwish Inc. Give us five star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Open up that application, hit the five star button, and you can write a review on Apple Podcasts. Did you know that? If you write a nice review, I'll read it on the air. Also, don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. Best Life Records in the UK is now carrying all iodine releases in their distro. Do you live in Europe? Do you want to get your hands on iodine vinyl? Then head on over to bestliferecords.com. Get it. You want it. There's so many great releases on iodine. For more iodine news, head to iodinerecords.com or to their Instagram at iodinerecordings. And last but not least, don't forget to support this month's sponsor bridge nine records have you heard the exciting news i hope you have american nightmares got a new ep dropping on june 2nd via heartworm press the ep is called dedicated to the next world and there is a bridge nine exclusive limited to 250 copies on evergreen vinyl and last time i checked tonight there was still copies left on the bridge nine website You have to get your hands on this. This is a a one-of-a-kind record. American Nightmare are legendary. I don't know if you've heard the new single yet, Self-Checkout, but it's really, really good. I love the evolution of this band. 
Head on over to bridge9.com to pre-order your copy. Now that's bridge the number 9.com. Okay, so Joe, let's talk about some music recommendations. What are we listening to? I want to start with you. Um, I've been listening to a bunch of different things lately. Uh, it depends on which direction I go as far as like I just got a, a bunch of the old Liars Academy stuff reissued on vinyl. So I've been yes. really digging back into them. I know they have a new record coming out later this year, which is a bit of a surprise. Usually in the car, my stuff's on shuffle. So like I just put on the new uh, 25th anniversary of Nimrod by Green Day. Yes. So I, I wanted to hear how sonically different it could be. All the bonus stuff. Been listening to some new mixes of unreleased take today material that i just you know you listen to it and you listen to it to try to find anything that bugs you before you say okay let's go let's put it out in the world yeah then yeah i mean it's a mix of stuff it's a lot of stuff from last year has just been kind of on shuffle for me uh 84 tigers that new botch song cat bite eichlers stuff like that i've been listening to the new american nightmare single self-checkout that's really good I like that the, they sound different from like, I don't know, when did they come out? 20 years ago? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I really like what they're doing now. It's very interesting. They almost even mix in some like Cold Cave kind of stuff. Like there's this weird drum beat in the song that sounds really cool. I just, I'm a fan of everything Wes does. The guy can't miss as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I feel like when you're a band that's been around for so long and you come back and do something new... Like, no one wants to keep doing the same thing over and over again. So you try something different, but also, like, all the things you've heard in that that span of time since you stopped doing that initial project influences where you go when you pick back up. So it's a good way to keep it interesting. A hundred percent. And my favorite band in the world, Hammock, their new album just dropped today. It's called Love in the Void. I've listened to most of it. I love it. I, you know, I have a couple of songs left. I didn't get to listen to the whole thing today because I've been running around like crazy, but they can't miss. I love this band and this album has it all. It has some like, you know, more guitar influenced songs. It has at least one song with vocals. It has some more ambient stuff. I like the Hammock albums that have a good mix of everything. And this album is one of those albums. Awesome, awesome stuff. And Here's an older one for you. I've been on a bit of a post-rock kick. Uh, the band is Nomads. The song is The River Bends, and it's from the album When Those Around Us Leave. It's just great, straightforward post-rock. I really like this band, Nomads. This this was the last album they put out, uh, When Those Around Us Leave. It came out in like 2015. I haven't seen them do anything since, but I put the song on our new scene, 2023 spotify playlist you can hear my recommendations there we're going to put take today joe's band on there too so make sure you follow that playlist because all of our guests will be on it throughout the year as well as all of my recommendations so check back in with me and joe in segment three we're going to talk to joe we're going to catch up because we haven't really spoken to each other and i don't know we haven't had a long conversation in like 10 years we got to catch up we got to talk to Joe about his band Take Today and everything they're up to. But right now, we are going to speak to Jay Navarro of The Suicide Machines. Enjoy. Hey. 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 
right. We are here now with Jay Navarro. Jay, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for uh, taking an interest. Yes, Jay, it's wonderful to have you here. You know, you have a pretty storied career with the suicide machines and all the other work you've done. (laughs) Career career is probably not the word. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How about storied life? Sure, sure. I'll go with that. Let's go with that. Yeah. You know, I, I caught the band live recently for the first time, and I thought that was really cool. And you know what? We're going to get to all that. But first, yeah, yeah. First, Jay, let me ask you, how are you doing today? Uh, how am I doing today? I'm pretty mentally unstable and need to check into a rehab. How are you? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Why? How are what's, you? Going, what's going on? Eh, nothing. I'm getting it together, though. Yeah. No, this is a, uh, I'm great. You know, the, the year, the new year is off to a good start for me, but, um, uh, mental health and sobriety, clean time, whatever is a, is a recurring theme on the show because I myself was a horrible drug addict. And then I somehow pulled it together and, uh, was able to start to be a productive person. Let's say productive person. Yes. Sure. If you, what's going on with you, Jay, if you feel like sharing. No, I don't really feel like sharing. I just, right. uh, I just, I gotta, I gotta slow it down a bit. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Can't do this anymore at, at almost 50 years old, you know? Yeah. It gets tough. Um, I think it's not helping my mental health either. You know what I mean? So it's all connected. That's what I've learned. Like I used to, I used to like wake up on Friday and not go to bed until Monday night. And I'd be like, why am I so depressed? Like, why, yeah. why am I yeah. so tired? What's going on? And and it's like, oh, well, you know, staying up for 72 hours will do that. It will definitely do that. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt. So but, by the time I turned 35, I got sick of it. Uh, I pulled myself together. And the past few years have been very good and very productive. So there's that. It's good. It's good, yeah. man. It's good. But it's, it's a new year, right? It's, it's yeah. time to uh, make some changes, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely definitely time. I've never been one to ever say anything about news resolution or anything like that. I don't believe in them. But if this is the time, then this is the time for now. I don't ever put like a, you know, a time limit on anything. So no, or no. you know what I mean? I think it'd be naive of me to be like, well, I'm quitting forever, you know, or something, you know? Yeah, it's it's hard to be like, uh, oh, uh, on January 7th, I will quit everything forever, whatever that is, because I don't know, you put pressure on yourself. And, uh, well, I mean, sometimes it works, you know, but sometimes yeah, not. Yeah. 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 Last time I, I did that, it didn't work. You know what I mean? So <laughs> how long did you last last time you did that? <clears throat> um, 19, 98 to about uh, 2004, five, six, something like that. Oh, really? Yeah. I lasted a while. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But I was, you know, I was ingesting and doing whatever I could at the time. I see. Yeah. I um how did the holidays go for you? I know it can be a tough time. Uh I was sick. <laughs> <laughs> I won. I was sick for New Year's, you know yeah. what I mean? So I don't I'm, I could feel the, the sickness coming a couple of days before New Year's Eve. I was like, no, I don't something didn't feel right. And then I got super sick. And then this morning I woke up and drenched in sweat and now I feel way better. So um Christmas is cool, man. Just uh I got I have six kids and we just kind of chilled and snacked on food and, you know, listen to Christmas music. And there's a blizzard here. So it was a white Christmas it was completely dumped snow on us. And 
I hate to sound like it's like the all American Christmas was kind of like, you know, it's all American as you know, my family can get, I guess. Yeah. No, that sounds nice. We did the same exact thing. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's just good to get together, sit down, eat food, watch something on TV. But you know what pisses me off, Jay? Because like the, because every studio has their own service now. Yeah. There's, there's like nothing good on TV anymore. You know, even on Christmas, they used to bust out Indiana Jones, Star Wars, Godfather, like, you know, every channel would be a hit. But now every studio has their own service and they'll only put the movies on that service. So it's all fucked up. So that's weird, man. I don't know. I don't have any issues with finding cool stuff. I mean, I watch Die Hard, of course, you know, oh. <laughs> on one on the on Christmas Eve, I think. But oh, now that's a classic. Yeah. Every, yeah. Every, they wanted us to pay for everything. So we just watched the uh, 24 hours of a Christmas story. I, you know, what? I, I did that one year. <laughs> just <laughs> just left it on the whole time. Yeah. So um, it's like a nice background noise. Yeah. I, I, I feel like we actually did pay for a movie for Christmas, though, because I remember thinking, why is this one? I think we had to pay for Elf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, we saw that, too. They were charging for Elf, Home Alone. Die Hard, everything. God, was it Home Alone or Elf? I know I had to pay for one of those two. Yeah, could have been. No, I had to have been Elf. I think it was Elf. And it was like, well, how was? Why do we have to pay for this on, on Christmas or Christmas Eve? I can't remember which night we had watched it, but like, I remember wondering why? Why the hell would we have to pay for that? It should be public domain by now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what? Well, <laughs> well pub, public domain is what thirty-five years or something weird like that. It's a long time. Yeah. Uh, something weird i can't remember what it is but it should be christmas holiday movies should be public domain as soon as they're they're out of the movies or are or off the tv uh you know channel that made it yeah so what do you have planned for this year uh in terms of the life or band or both uh well you know just try to clean up some maybe get my knee looked at see if i can get my knee fixed because my knee's all messed up um and then I have a lot of uh, a lot of shows planned with uh, my solo band Jay Navarro and the Traders. I have like two different tours, a bunch of shows. You know, Supernova International Scott Festival, of course, at the end of the year. So I've got a lot of time off from the Suicide Machines this year. Mm-hmm. And Break Anchors kind of not really doing anything. Uh, so the Traders are just taking this opportunity. Our record's done. It'll be out. Uh, I think May's or no wait, when does it come out? can't remember when it comes out. I think it comes out in May. So we're taking the opportunity to actually play a lot, you know, get, get in the, get in the whip and trailer and go hit some cities, you know? That sounds good. So when you're playing solo, do you just have your solo specific material or do you work in any of the other stuff from other bands? Um, well, f- this weekend, or we're playing in Nashville and uh, Cincinnati in three weeks. I think we're going to do uh, quite a few specials songs since uh, Terry passed away. So we're going to kind of, I, it sounds weird to end your set with covers, but I think we're going to end with some specials. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 I, I, I remember hearing about that now. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know you're, you're I think your, your podcast is maybe more sort I'm only assuming it's more geared towards post hardcore, hardcore because Je- Jeff Dean sent me your way. So I figured, I don't know. I have some weird preconceived notion that this is like a, a hardcore podcast or, Something like that. It's. Uh, I mean, most of the bands end up being hardcore, post-hardcore, emo, shoe, right. the newer shoegaze stuff, all sure. that. But uh, I, I like to, I like to uh, be as diverse as possible and not tie myself to any one 
thing, you know? Yeah, no, you shouldn't. I mean, that's why all my bands sound pretty different. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in the people and the stories mostly. So like, if I know somebody's going to be interesting, then they're on the yeah. show. That's it. Right. Right. Cool. Yeah. There's been a ska revival lately there. It seems like there's a lot of new interest in ska. Do you like that? Um, I, I like it because I think the, the newer bands that are, have started doing it in the past, you know, 10 years, they're going to seem new to people now that are hearing it, but they've actually been doing it within the past 10 years, at least, um, you yeah. know, the, the greats are there, right? Greats who've been doing it are still there doing it. But I'm saying like all these people who kind of like checked out on it are coming back and hearing all these great bands, like, I don't know, like the Scotch bonnets or something. And, and it's like, Oh, this is, there's new people playing Scott. And it's like, well, no, they've been playing for kind of a long time, you know, but I, I think it's cool. I enjoy it. I think there's every, um, I don't know. I hate to ever say waves. I don't like saying that word, but like yeah. every time there's a revival or wave or whatever you want to call it, there's always some sort of new twist to it, I guess you could say. Yes. And I, I kind of think the new twist is an old twist and, you know, for better or worse, like people are kind of going back to the original styles of like Jamaican blue beat and, or like the English first wave. I mean, there's some cool people doing some really cool stuff too, like incorporating pop or, you know, psychedelic or a lot of, you know, a lot of people are playing reggae and stuff these days. So it's, it's, I think they're incorporating a lot of that too. I don't think it's, you're not going to get, um, you know, uh, you're not going to get real big fish these days. That's not a knock. I'm just saying you're not going to hear that kind of ska. Yeah. You, you're going to hear something that's maybe more rooted in, you know, the days of old when it comes to what people are doing right now. Although these people have been doing it for like the past 10 years, some of them, you know, they just, yeah, because the newer stuff I've heard, it sounds more classic from what I know. It's like not Goldfinger or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, there, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I like Goldfinger, but it's not what people are doing right now. And when I started doing my solo thing, you know, I was really inspired by like the specials, obviously. Yeah. And and then like when Joe Strummer had done the Mescaleros, I really enjoyed kind of like the idea that he was just branching out way further than the Clash had, even though he's still sticking to some of the parameters of what they did, he was really branching out. And I hope that maybe eventually with this band, I can do the same, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I like, um, uh, when they have these re- quote unquote revival things, the good thing is that a lot more people get exposed to the music and then a lot of new awesome bands pop up. Like when that whole emo revival thing happened in 2010, there was a lot of new awesome bands and then people get exposed to the older shit. So I could maybe I can actually say to someone like, hey, do you like Texas is the reason? And they'll actually know who they are if they're younger. So that'd yes. be cool. And, um, and I and I love Texas is the reason for the for the record. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. great. And I'm sure Jeb Dean has also said it before, like Norman's a good buddy of ours. Oh, nice. You know, he's just he's a rat. They're, they're they're a great. What a good band. I definitely still have a Texas is the reason the first Rev seven inch in my collection. Yeah, yeah, they were just foundational for me. But like, uh, I guess the annoying side of it is like all all the articles and the like rankings and 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 that whole part of it. And 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 you know, part of me is like, hey, this never went away. There's not a revival. Like, whenever a new band pops up that's good, I I'm I eat that shit up. Yeah, and or possibly they were doing it, you know, a few years prior, anyways, before this the revival word even comes up. You know. Yes. And, and if new bands, you know, come out of that revival too, then, you know, so be it. And even if they're only around for a year, maybe they do it really cool or maybe they do, they put a new twist on it, you know? So I'm not even knocking any of that either. I think it's cool. 
Yeah, I I I like that because um when I see younger kids embracing sounds that I grew up with and doing new and exciting things with it, it's it's awesome. I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I think that like it was strange because at the end of my like if you want to talk about like I still like emo, but I listen obviously I came from the era of like real post hardcore before there was even the word emo. So I'm sure you can guess like the bands that I like from that era, right? You know, like I'm like Rights of Spring. I didn't understand what they were doing at the time, but I loved it. Yeah. You know? And I, I read a story about this crazy gig you went to. It was like Fugazi and Nation of Ulysses and and this other band. And they were all completely different. It was just kind of like a wild show like that. It, more that yeah, era, right? Yeah. That was my friend John's band, uh, Gangster Fun. They're just very, you know, two-tone inspired Scott, like really wild crazy band like they were the second band they're so big in detroit nation Ulysses had to open the show yeah and uh yeah nation Ulysses was awesome and to this day i still love that band too so highly influential yes mm, absolutely yeah so i went and saw the makeup a few times after you know that was over and i thought that was pretty cool too i didn't like love it but i thought it was neat i read a story that you saw gg allen on acid yes now and and in, in the story that i read you said it was a pretty typical punk show which is like Hard for me to believe. Is that true? Yeah, it's very true. Really pretty normal. <laughs> I mean, you know, he uh, cut himself up a little bit, and, you know, jacked off. But that was like really all he did live. I mean, I mean, to be honest, the crowd was more rowdy than he was. Wow. I don't I don't think he was having it. So he went and locked himself in the back room because everyone was going to beat him up at some point. <laughs> so he instead of hitting people like he usually does and runs out, he actually ran and hid and locked himself in the room. He, had to, he waited back there until the club owner had everyone out of the bar. I mean, what is it like to witness this on acid? Uh, you know, I was terrified. <laughs> you know, I was terrified. Like, I, I totally freaked out when my roommate came home. I was like, well, we're going to see Gigi. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talked me into it. And, you know, of course, I'm freaking out. And, uh, you know, like I said, we got there and it was really just a you know normal punk show. I mean, it was really kind of tame the first 15, 20 minutes. Everyone was dancing and sing along. And there's like a circle pit and... You know, then he started getting crazy, and so everyone started to move away from the stage, and then skinheads started attacking him, and then it was over. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah. shows must have been a lot rowdier when you were coming up, yes? Yeah, definitely. I've had people, uh, I've been at that exact same bar I'm talking about, and uh, we've basically had to, you know, fight the neighborhood with baseball bats until the police, like, until, like, tons of squad cars just arrest everybody, <laughs> take <laughs> take everyone to jail, and, the, you know, the fight spills out like you know 2030 on top of 2030 out in seven mile you know i'm just running for my car trying to hide you know or whoever i was with what um, are the fights fr- about are you like fighting skinheads or like what's the beef um yeah i definitely had definitely uh got beat up by nazi skinheads at that bar for sure because i was with two sharps and the singer or the guitar player in my band was uh american indian but they thought he was arabic and then the singer of my band was a sharp and so like like they beat us up but the, that particular fight uh some neighborhood uh thugs came into the bar thinking they were the kind of like, gonna own it yeah and uh and uh so me and my friend uh the the singer of cold his life and took on the biggest one and then me and my friend Vinny. uh took on what he was sad because we did two on one because these are pretty big dudes and uh, and then my other friends beat up the other guy. We beat them all up and stole all their chains. <laughs> they had like nice chains on and stuff. And we beat them up. And 
you know, they, they went and came back with their friends, <laughs> a lot of them, you know, and it was pretty scary. I mean, yeah, like, like I've never been in an actual fight like that. It just wasn't in me, but there was a lot of fighting when I was coming up too. but it was mostly uh, it was like city versus suburbs, uh, real mm-hmm. hardcore versus perceived fake hardcore, like that type of thing. Oh, uh, yeah. No, no. This had nothing to do with like, um, you know, like punk rock beefs. Yeah. The only real, the only real punk rock beefs in the city at the time was at, at one point people had just had enough of the Nazis because you know in the eighties, you know everyone was at the show because you're all a bunch of misfits, you're all a bunch of outcasts. Yep. You know you, you could be, you just a total nerd. You could be, yeah, every walk of life was at a punk rock show in Detroit. Could be a murderer. Could be a Nazi skinhead. Could be a goth person. Could be a straight edge person. Like that's. It could be white. It could be black. It was like everybody went to the shows in the 80s. And so a lot of times it was either something personal, but eventually everyone had just had enough of Nazi skinheads in Detroit because it was getting kind of serious and getting kind of big. Yeah. And I think everyone was just kind of like, you know what? Everyone just stopped taking crap and kind of just ran them out. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I was involved in a couple of scraps, but like there's people here that seriously took it real serious and ran them out of the city. You know what I mean? Like, and it's kind of stayed good ever since, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, you hear those stories a lot, and it's a good thing that they got run out because, well, nobody wants them. Yeah, no, no, of course not, man. No, yeah. no one wanted them there. You know, I, I definitely can list off three or four that I've have fought personally um, <laughs> in this city. Uh, but that was the thing, man. Like it was getting so big and out of control, and, and there's so many of them at some point that they were just it was like gang violence or something. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, it, they would just boot party you. There'd be like twenty of them, and finally, everyone just all these people started being like, "You know what? This is done." Yeah, it's weird that they gravitated towards like punk shows too, because punk is is like against everything they stand for. Well, I also think that um, you know, hate music really yeah. will put a fish hook in people, and I think that's what it did in the eighties. I think, I think these people who were punks or were metalheads for some weird, crazy reason, like they really did gravitate towards like those hate bands. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why they did. Cause most of it was really bad. It wasn't very good. I mean, I've heard a few of them. They're not good. I don't no. care. What anyone says. I don't hear anyone says, dude, like screwdriver not good. I don't give a fuck. Band sucks. Yeah. I, I get annoyed when people are like, Oh no, the first seven inch is good. It's like, no, fuck off. I'm not even going to entertain that. Get out and I'll even, I don't even want to entertain, but I'll even tell you if you want to go to musical standpoint, it's, it's mediocre at best. So like, <laughs> what, you know what I mean? Like, all of it like all that and i just think people for some weird reason like if you weren't suckered into it because of like maybe your older brother was one yeah. you got suckered into it because you liked one you were an outcast and these people are accepting you and that's all most of these people wanted was someone to accept them and then they wanted to feel powerful about it for some weird reason you know it's all about power probably yeah and uh and they, they, you know, that hate music really suckered them in and, and like fooled them into it, into believing in this such moronic like ideology. I don't know. I, I don't really even know why or how. I, that, in my neighborhood, I feel like that's how it happened. Yeah, that's, it, that's, it was nowhere to be seen, and then all of a sudden, it was there. Yeah, it's it's we it's so easy to fall into those traps, and I'm I'm glad I never did because I grew up in a pretty racist town. But when when people would start going in that direction or dropping certain words even back then i was like uh i don't like this this feels weird yeah i got attacked by a bunch of them for for wearing a public enemy shirt really yeah absolutely jeez yep yep 
Tough times. Yeah, it was ridiculous, man. How did you decide you wanted to start performing? Uh, I think my grandma saw like my family life was really bad. And, uh, and I, I don't know, man, I just, I actually, I just, I did not have a good family life. And my, uh, my grandma just didn't see things going well. And it seems like I was always with my, my grandma because, you know, the parents didn't want to have anything to do with me. So they'd ship me off to grandma's house. You know, sometimes I'd be there for like, you know, the whole summer or, or whatever, just to get rid of me. And, uh, I think she saw, you know, what was going on at home. And, and just thought, wow, what can this, this kid's like screwed? Like, what does he take an interest in? And she realized I like music a lot. And I, I, I like, and she was like, well, wait a minute. Like he really is paying attention to music. And like for my birthday, you know, she took me to a, a guitar store and bought me like a cheap, like, Hey, here's, you know, 150 or 200 bucks, get, get what you want. Like, and, and at that time, like, I didn't know how to play a guitar i picked up a friend's bass just dorking around on it but i couldn't afford a drum set with that money and i saw a bass as, as an opportunity because it was affordable so i bought a bass and then my uh super sketchy dad at the time my my stepfather i was like oh you, grandma got you a bass and i'm like yeah he's like you don't have an amplifier do you and i'm like well no it's like come with me and he took me to this really sketchy dude's house and his whole house was just full of like amplifiers bass amps guitar <laughs> amps dude home stereos tvs i was kind of like oh boy <laughs> this dude like it, all this has got to be stolen oh yeah and, and, and what i mean it was packed i mean his house was packed with it like stacked on top of each other really i don't remember it being dusty or anything so i feel like it, it was moving you know what i mean like i definitely remember thinking it, it i didn't feel like i was in a hoarder's house or anything like that and and he was i don't know what favor this guy owed my dad or what but he's like grab what you want. And I'm like, all right. And I just like grabbed a 215 um, custom stack, those weird amps with the leather all over them. Yeah. And and I only grabbed it because it was gigantic. I was like that one because it's, you know, as tall as me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know any better yet. So he gave it to my dad. He didn't pay for it. It's, it's, it was crazy. I'd love to know uh, the inner workings of that organization. It sounds like uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. My step, my stepdad was pretty sketchy. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. Mm-hmm. So you get a bass, and uh, you what, you just start learning to how to play, and uh... yeah. So I like none of the like I was just kind of becoming a punker. You know, I went from that metal phase into being a punker, and uh, it, which was a really short lived thing. I mean, fifth grade, I went from like Michael Jackson and Wham, you know, or hip hop. Yeah, like the original, the original old school hip hop, like Nucleus and African Bombada, because there was a radio station here that you could pick up that played really good, you know, breakdancing music. Well, I, you know, back then I didn't even know what it was called, so to me it was just like breakdancing music. So I listened to that or Whammer, Michael, you know, Michael Jackson, and then I found my cousin got me into metal. Like, yeah, a lot of my family like took, I don't want to say took pity on me, but they knew it was in a bad situation, so they're always trying to like take care of me or help me out. So my cousin Danny, who actually lives a couple blocks from me in Detroit, uh, she brought me a bunch of records like you know Motley Crue and Iron Maiden, stuff like that. And I was just kind of, oh, this is rad. And then by seventh grade, I was full on skateboarder, and that and metal was out the door. So when I started playing in bands, I wasn't cool yet. I was still kind of like a metalhead looking mullet kid, and like none of the punks wanted to play in bands with me because I just did, you know I was really poor, so I didn't have cool clothes. So I was riding, always riding hand me down boards. You know, I wasn't the guy that was going to like put spikes all over my jacket or anything like that. I, cause I didn't have the money or the understanding of how to even do that or get those sort of things at the time. And 
no one really wanted to play with me. So I ended up playing in a band with a bunch of these metalheads at school. So like, well, at least you can play bass, you know? And so I ended up playing bass with this band for a minute. And then after that, it was weird. Like all the punk dudes just kind of like, Oh, we lost our bass player. Call Jay. Oh, hey, our bass player is gone. Call Jay. Like all, so I ended, I ended up playing for a lot of like Detroit punk bands and hardcore bands that were like well known inside of the city, you know? Yeah. So I must have cut my mullet off. <laughs> yeah. That's what that's what finally got them to accept you. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It must have been great training too. You're playing with a lot of different bands. You're probably learning a lot of different styles. And I know I'm always better when I'm playing with different people, right? Yep, man. I always that's why I still try to do this day. Um, right now I've been working on a project with uh my my friend who was the drummer for uh oh god, who's in Goober in the Peas, I think before Jack White was in Goober in the Peas, and then uh my friend Co that was in the Dirt Bombs and the Bond Bondies, and uh and my friend John from Gangster Fun, you know, so it's always good to like incorporate people you've never played with so you can, you know, pick up some sort of progression or something new or you know, just you know, just it's always good to play with other people, man. It doesn't matter what what you like. I mean, you should like it, right? But like, it just—I feel like I don't know. I'm just—I'm way more well-rounded. Yeah, I've learned something from every band I've been in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For sure. So, when does the Suicide Machines get started? Um, 1991. And talk about how that came together. So, uh, there was a band called uh, Screaming Bloody Leopard Children, Leopard Children from uh, Detroit, and. Uh, Johnny Lunchmeat, the bass player, was the first guy that I took notice to that actually played, you know, runs or walked the bass or scales, so to speak. And I was like blown away. I was like, oh, wait, oh, oh, you don't just play root notes. You do, oh, that's what you do. And so I like basically learned that whole band's catalog. And again, they lost, Johnny moved away. They called me. So I ended up playing bass for him. And then at that point, like I said, the scene was just getting so sketchy and violent, man. Like, it was really dead, like it was really like a uh, dead endish, I guess you could say, uh, like how things were. How so? Uh, just everyone was shooting heroin, and I don't know, excuse me, <clears throat> you know, just just being the, the sketchy people that you know punks were back then. Wow. And uh, you know, it was getting more violent too, and people were starting to get killed, and and I was in I was in cold as life actually for a while playing bass, and you know our. our not too long after I was kicked out of Coleman's life, he was murdered. But that was around the time I kind of checked out. I was like, you know, this stuff is just crazy. And, and I kind of like had already loved ska because I found Gangster Fun, which is like a local Detroit ska band. And then, uh, you know, I was always listening to like Fishbone and the specials and Operational Ivy and all that. And, and I was kind of like, you know what, man, their scene is so much better than this. Like, I don't have to worry about any negative energy. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go be involved in this instead. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, based on my limited experience, it just seems to be a lot more positivity. You know, people aren't crowd killing each other. There doesn't seem to be a lot of beef. That That's that's all appealing yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's very appealing. You know, and it sucks because, like, I saw a lot of the, the original greats, you know what I mean? And, and I I love them all to this day. I mean, I won't hesitate to you know, put on a Youth of Today record, you know, and I have fond memories of seeing, like, Judge and stuff like that. But, like, um, you know, and I love Agnostic Front to death, like, forever. And it's just, uh, you know, uh, I love the music. Um, I don't necessarily in, enjoy, I don't know. I mean, it's just a different culture than I want to be in. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, it's complicated because I love shows where people are going crazy, 
I even love when like there's a bit of crowd killing and people aren't getting really hurt. I don't love when there's fights and violence or when I'm getting hurt. Uh, but you know, that doesn't, that hasn't happened in a really long time. So it's, there's a weird duality to it. Yeah, like yeah. A, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. it can be complicated. Yeah. Like there's, there's a band from Detroit right now called uh, anti up. And I, I think they're fantastic. And they're just one of the gnarliest hardcore bands ever. But I, I don't really, if I go to a see, if I go to see them, which I haven't seen them in quite a long time now, I, you know, I'm always, I'm way at the back. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I don't, I, and then I get to see all the people walking out that are really hurt, <laughs> you know. And I don't know. My my, my vibe is just all, way more um, trying to be way more into uplifting things these days, you know. Same here, same here. I, I I enjoy the chaos from from far in the back. That's good enough for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There needs to be a. I'm sure there probably already is, but a more posicore re- reunion <laughs> or re- yeah. revival. I mean, revival. I mean, uh, stage dives and high fives. But then I'm gonna get hurt getting stage dived on, right? I mean. <laughs> look whatever revival there is it's ultimately going to end in like something chaotic yeah, i think <laughs> i agree man i agree you're probably right it just always cycles back to that and then it, it i don't know it resets again yeah um so you're in suicide machines we're playing talk about the scene at that time like what's going on what kind of shows are you playing well we were playing with bands like uh you know 15 um skank and pickle uh Probably around 94, 95, we started playing with some of the newer ska bands that we'd kind of running into, like the Pie Tasters or, uh, you know, Less Than Jake. And and then, um, you know, a lot of punk bands, too. Um, but and then all of a sudden, 1995 hit and it was just like, you know, the world changed, I guess. Yeah. Like uh, from my perspective, I remember a lot of punk, a lot of ska really blowing up. Like, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, man. Yeah, like Very talk good. about that from your perspective. I mean, is there just like sudden big offers and all kind? Like, what's going on? You, you know, it's weird because like I remember just a couple years before, like you know, Green Day playing on a deck on the back porch of a house for like twenty people. Wow. You know, I, mean? I didn't go to that show. I just remember thinking, oh, I should have went. You know, like I I remember playing with Rancid Coffee House to like maybe sixty, seventy people. Wow. People, I don't even know. Like, you know what I mean. And and then all of a sudden it was just like you know major label people knocking on our door. I was like, what in the heck? And or I guess what I'm rounding about back to is like all of a sudden Green Day was just gigantic. We we're just like, what in the heck? Yeah, you know, because my roommate at the time was like a huge Green Day head, and uh, and we were both just like dumbfounded. Like, I mean, they're good and they're catchy and they write good songs, so it's not surprising, I guess, in the end. But at the time, you know, it almost felt like we were all blindsided by it. Like it was like, holy moly, how did they get so big? Even Fugazi. Like, if you want to talk about post-hardcore, like, I remember going to see Fugazi right around 94, and they sold out the Phoenix Amphitheater in Pontiac, which is, like, shoot, 5,000 people? Wow. Dude, it was insane. Like, I, you know, I went from seeing them in a church with, like, I don't know, with them in, I think, Jawbox. So it was, like, maybe, I don't know, maybe 200 people tops at best, if that. And then a couple of years later, you know, 6,000 people in an amphitheater. It's like, what in the like it was just it was just weird so it wasn't just like it wasn't just you know punk pop punk or you know punk sky or sky or whatever it was like even that was like wildly strangely huge even outside of you know the mainstream media and labels even they were like pile driving everybody it was like it was crazy man it's just a weird time i think i also think it just had the fact that you know there there wasn't as many distractions these days 
or those days as there are now. So people were definitely way, way more deeper into music at the time. Big time. Yeah. Like, you know, know, remember being young and, you know, there wasn't like the internet and YouTube and Twitch and multiple video game consoles. And well, there was those, but not as many. Um, Like, you know, my family grew up not rich. So Mm -hmm. if you got like a new cassette or a new CD, like that was your entertainment. Like you would lose yourself in that for months and months. Yep, you would. And and to be honest, even my friends who had like, you know, uh, I don't know, a Nintendo or an Atari. I mean, look, you'd only play for so many hours and be like, all right, you know, let's go to the show. Yeah. <laughs> you, know I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was too poor. I never had a, a, any sort of game console. Never. Not even uh, Atari. I, I had the Pong thing. The yeah. Thing that just looked like a little tennis match. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That was it. Did you ever uh, circle back and uh, buy consoles now? Or is that just not your thing? I only bought, I think, I, I think my, I think my, my wife maybe bought me a Sony PlayStation because we yeah. had a Tony, Tony Hawk game. Oh, yeah. Uh, so many people got PlayStations because of that game. It's crazy. Yeah, like I don't think I had anything up until that game. So Yeah, and Green Day, like that did kind of come out of nowhere. I That was, you know, for people my age, so many people, when Dookie came out, that was like their <coughs> first exposure to punk. Yeah, and I, I remember crazy, seeing, man. Yeah, I remember seeing the video for Basket Case and like, I hated it at first. I was like, this guy looks weird. I hate this. And then something happened where I'm just like, all right, this is it. Here we go. Yeah, man, it was, it was crazy. Like, I, it just, it did, man. It just blindsided us. And, you know, and Rancid was even more of a huge blindside to any of us. Like, yeah. you know, because we had already been playing with those dudes and stuff. And the next thing you know, it was like they, they called us to play with them again. And the next time they came around, like, hey, we're playing St. Andrews. We we're like, what? Wait, we just played a coffee house with you. St. Andrew, <laughs> Andrews holds like, I don't know, eight, eight or 900 people at the time was the limit, maybe. Like, that's crazy, dude. It's going to be, you know, 100 people best. This Rancid show. And so we played with them and it sold out. Wow. We're like, what in the heck? <laughs> I mean, I, I like, it was bizarre, man. It was just nothing. I have nothing against any of those bands. I'm just saying it really was a big blindsided, like, you know, we, we didn't have the internet at the time and I wasn't listening to the radio. And, you know, I lived in a punk house. We didn't have MTV. So I didn't, I didn't know. Oh, so you weren't even seeing like uh, the wave coming? <clears throat> no, man. I was living in a punk house. We had no cable. Wow. You know, um, I don't remember. I, I don't remember the wave coming. And like, I remember the wave coming when Nirvana was starting to break big, but that's right when I moved out into a punk house. Yeah. Because I, um, uh, the girlfriend at the time I was seeing, she had a uh, cable at her house, and we were being like, "Who the hell is this Nirvana band?" Like, yeah. oh, wait, was this the band that played at the you know, Blind Pig in Ann Arbor like a year ago? Like, which is a tiny little dive bar. Yeah, y- you know what I mean. And and I, I remember like like I was working at St Andrews Hall at the time, and that like Nirvana was going to play like within those couple of weeks, and I got the night off, and I was like, I'm not going to work, so I didn't even go see him play at the bar I was working at. That like uh, eight, eight or nine hundred like size club here in Detroit. It's kind of like um, it's like our. It's probably one of the most famous clubs that's been open forever here. But yeah, uh, yeah, dude. Like, so I kind of like moved into a punk house and I saw nothing. Like, I didn't know what was going on. So when does Hollywood Records approach you and Suicide Machines? Uh, uh, uh randomly, um, somehow. Oh, our telephone number was on the, I think our telephone number was on the inside of the Skank for Brains split record we did with the rudiments. I, I have to check that. I have to go look at the record. Yeah. I feel like our number was on it. 
because we were still just DIYing it around the country, you know? Yeah. yeah. And uh, we'd already had people kind of come, a couple people, like a dude from Sony, and I, I don't really remember. Maybe that was it. I don't know. A couple other people. Or maybe, or maybe it was just one dude. And uh, this is a guy, whatever. And uh, this dude, like, calls. So the number on the record, I think, was Dan's mom's house. Dan's mom and dad's house. Cause that's where we practiced at the time. And, uh, you know, just, you know, hey, I'm whatever. I want to I see your band play. And we're, <clears throat> we're like, oh, we don't have anything booked. Sorry, dude. And just want to come see you practice. We're like, what? <laughs> Nah, that's that's weird, man. Like we're, we're touring this summer. Why don't you come see? You know, we're, you know, we'll be I think the closest to you. I think at that time that tour I remember was Arizona. Maybe I was like, just come to Arizona and see us. You know, and it's like, no, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna fly out. You guys, you guys be home in the next uh, whatever you know month. Wow. And and uh, you know, at that point, there's just no saying no. Yeah. You know, because we're nice people, and and, and uh, I think it must have been Dan talking to him. Had told him yes. So this dude like flew to Detroit watch us practice in in his dan's mom and dad's basement <laughs> it's very bizarre did you like uh were you guys worried about that like did you wonder like oh what are we gonna play do we need to practice before the practice like what do you do no nah, we just played everything we knew at the time yeah that i that that's what i remember i remember playing everything we knew um i remember feeling uncomfortable and standing behind one of the uh the, the foundational poles so he couldn't see me yeah you know, because I was just, I don't know, this is weirding me out. But uh, we ended up, I'm actually, it's funny because I'm actually going to go now see him in a couple of weeks when I play Nashville. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I've been, we've stayed friends this whole time. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Very awesome. I love him and his wife. And it's, it's cool. I'm actually going to see him in a couple of weeks. Um, long, I Sorry, I didn't mean to change subject, but no, he just really vibed us as this really awesome dude. Yeah, and, because uh, the, the story you always hear is like, oh, we met this great A&R agent. We signed to the label. He left the label. The label stopped supporting us. They kicked us out. And that's usually the story. So it's it's great to hear that like you're still friends with this person. That That is the story. But it was many, many, many years later. Yeah. Um, when he finally was like, I'm out of here. I'm quitting. And, and, you know, we'd already saw that he was having so much trouble to begin with because it was like new people every other like seven, eight months. He was one of the few people that would survive all the, the layoffs and the firings. But long story short, he takes off a um, couple months in. He calls us again. He's like, Hey, where, where are your tour dates? We're like, Oh, it's this guy again. And he's like, all right, cool. I'm coming to the Baltimore show. Like, all right. Or Dan was like, okay, well, here's where it's at. You know, uh, he flew into Baltimore to see us play. And, uh, and the rest is kind of history, man. We were on Hollywood for a long time. Yeah. Like uh, five years or something like that. Five, six years. Yeah, man. Yep, for sure. Three records, <laughs> right? Um, I think five. Wow. Well, let me think. Let me think. Your destruction, Bellhams. Self-titled. Self-titled. Steal this record. Oh, it's four. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. That's you're right. uh, that's pretty incredible. That's uh, like what talk about being in the band at that time. Is there like big advances? Do you get to tour in a bus? Like, because this is more when there was more of like a music industry for our type of bands, you know, people bought records. There was a thirst for interesting guitar driven music. Like talk about some of that time. All right. So here's the really cool thing about that whole situation. For one, we were already, you know, total DIY punkers. See that we're making screening our own patches and making our own records and, you know, getting lucky and having maybe an independent label, putting out our records and driving in the van and playing places like Gilman street or basements of people's houses. So when we got this huge advance, 
we were like, oh, we're definitely buying a van, a trailer. Like we're not even a screw having a bus. That's stupid. Like we're going to take this money and, and buy, buy a vehicle that can get us through all of, you know, that we'll have for years. So we actually spent the money on things like that. Yeah. You know, and then, um, and then we realized, you know, the first advance went quick because of how long we were in the studio and how much uh, money we'd spent in the studio and how much expensive those things were. And by uh, the next record, we were like, uh, you know what? We're going to make this album as quick as possible and then pocket all the back cash. <laughs> so we did in a couple of days, pocketed everything. So, you know, and then, you know, for the self-title, we're like, well, let's live the real deal, you know, because like, I mean, Destruction was even recorded in a short amount of days too really quick and you know we actually didn't spend as much money as you would think on that record yeah you know we're just, we're just a punk band we just blazed through it pretty quick and so the third one we were kind of like those dudes were all writing these crazy like beatles type songs yeah because it because they're being a bunch of weirdos and then uh we were like well let's just do the full-on you know major label experience like we all got apartments and cars and you know what i mean and eating thai food out every day that kind of world and then uh and that, after that, the, the band was kind of falling apart, and uh, we ended up... We had a lot of issues with the guitar player. That's why like a lot of the members came and went in that, in that band. What was the uh, issue? Was it like a creative thing or a control thing? Like, what was it? Well, he's just... Dude, he just, you know, he was, a, I guess you could say, a narcissist in the, in the blatant... Like, when you think about someone like how narcissistic someone like Donald Trump can be, yeah, like to where he he probably doesn't even notice that he is one. That's how he was, kind of, and it was just getting worse and worse. And and I couldn't keep people in the band anymore. So at the time, once we got to that fourth record, you know, we had that going on. Then we had Julian wanting to leave the label because he was done because so many, you know, he couldn't. He felt like he couldn't get anything done anymore because how many people came and went. Yeah, uh, at that label, and uh, so that was kind of like. The, the end of the run for like being on a major for that. Like we were, we, you know, I got to say Hollywood records, like I guarantee you, they never even came close to recouping, you know, what we took from them. Cause they won their accounting was so messed up. They probably have no idea what they gave us <laughs> Two, do. We were always hitting them up for money. I remember being in Europe and they sent us like, I don't even know what it was. It's like $20,000 or something crazy. Wow. It, but they would just send us money all the time and we're on tour. And we'd ask for it, like tour support, right? Yeah. They would send us these cra- crazy amount of money. Dude, well worth every penny. You know, I didn't even care if like, I mean that, look, I don't think even with record sales, like we would even come close to the money we took from them to get things done, to get to where we can make it a band that can last as long as we wanted to do it. Yeah. You know? So what did you think of uh, the major label experience during self-titled where you're eating Thai food every day and driving a car? Like, was that, was that your thing or no? It was nice having my own apartment yeah. at that point. I mean, I didn't really, uh, <clears throat> I just, uh, you know, I didn't been married and we just, I think we just got out or no, she was still living in, no, she wasn't in San Francisco. We just got our first house and, uh, you know, we we're poor, but it was interesting to have like, house but then also like okay well we're not gonna rent this house anymore we'll go to you know cali for a while and stay in this apartment but then once we did it we had all right we were staying at my mom's maybe and then we came back and then got a house it's hard to remember man long story short it was nice you know you have your own apartment have your kid with you because we had a kid and you could walk to a jacuzzi in the middle of the night <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean it was bizarre how but, was the uh reception to that self-titled record because you you went for like more of a mainstream rock sound 
yeah, it was bizarre, you know, like people, all the punks hated it. And then, uh, you know, uh, but then again, we'd go play with like, no doubt. And, you know, thousands of people would love it, you know, double edged sword really. Yeah. So you're, you're, I guess the older fans hated it, but you made some newer fans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Definitely have fans that some, for some crazy reason, that definitely stuck around from seeing us playing with like, no doubt, Weezer and stuff. I have no idea how, but they did. <laughs> yeah. It's just a time and place things. You know, I, I remember random bands I saw like in an abandoned house 20 years ago and I'm like, Oh, let me go throw that on again. Yeah, man, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, you leave Hollywood records. Now you, you could have kept putting out records on Hollywood, right? Um, at that time we could have, uh, Julian, but Julian was definitely leaving. Okay. And we were like, well, that's pointless. Cause this label is kind of not really doing very well. They're not really doing us very well at this point anyways, regardless of, uh, Julian, our A&R person. Yeah. And, uh, and he was going to Capitol records. Ah. And, and so, uh, he was like, I'm going. And we're like, that's cool. Like see, you know, whatever. And then, uh, we ended up talking with him about going to Capitol records and we were just kind of like, you know what, man, we, we, we did this whole thing and we've gotten far, far along enough that we don't need a major label anymore. Like we can be on independent and, and not worry about anything. You know what I mean? Like if anything yeah. make money really. So we, we ended up not going to Capitol uh, with him and then, uh, you know, signed a side one dummy because we had known Joe forever ago. That's how I met. Jeff was probably 1994, maybe, uh, playing Las Vegas with his band Tomorrow's Gone, and uh, and Joe Sib was in a band called Wax, who was the owner of Sidewood Dummy Records. Oh, okay. So we stayed friends as well for a long time, and he kept bugging me for many years before we went to Side One. Like, hey, I want to put out a record. I want to put out a record. I want to put out a record. But we were, you know, we were loyal to Julian regardless of anything. And uh, once he was leaving. You know, that was all out the, all out the window. So. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it's it's not a typical story. Um, you put out four records with Hollywood. You could have kept going. And uh, wait, did you like you said they had bad accounting? Did, did, you, did you end up owing them a lot of money or did you just kind of uh, sneak Never, away from it? Yeah, we snuck away from it. Man. Never paid anything back. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, if, <laughs> if anybody hears this, uh, shh. Shh, don't tell anybody it's all taken care of. Yep, it's done. We don't it's, we owe nothing. It's nothing. The balance is zero. We're moving on. Um, yeah, and we're coming up on the uh, what the thirty-five year clause where we can have a record back too, one by one now. Oh yeah. So getting up, do get, something with that. Oh, of course, man. Of course, we'll re-release it eventually. That's awesome. So, so how was your time on Side One Dummy? Did we like that label? Loved it. It's great. I uh, I have nothing bad to say about it. It was great. They're awesome. It was really, really, really cool. I, I, it was still a little bit chaotic, you know, still definitely in indie, yeah. you know, but like, you know, they did what they said they were going to do. They're like, Hey, we'll give you the money to record. You recoup, then you, this is what you get. And I mean, honestly, it like restarted that, you know, a whole new fire under that band. Once we put out uh, a match and some gasoline on Simon dummy, which actually I think is the 25 year anniversary this year this year now so oh yeah yeah because they're going to re-release it so nice so you said you started making money when you're on side one dummy so you're not making money when you're on the major but when you shift to side one dummy you start being profitable 
well yeah when you finally start to see some money from your band uh, it's, it's it's weird um but no i mean i mean if we never paid back the money from hollywood i guess that would be profitable right yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's not it sounded like you guys were pretty savvy too like you you know just accidental it, man accidental yeah because yeah, like i don't know so many people get taken advantage of but and you also had the wherewithal to like live below your means a bit yeah well we also had well we were savvy like on battle hymns we were like yep dude we're, we're gonna blast this record out in two days yeah and then <clears throat> you know got two hundred two hundred thousand dollar record deal for the record Ooh. and you're done in two or three days there's a lot left over oh yeah <laughs> you know what i mean what do you do that invest that in stocks or um no god wish <laughs> wish yeah yeah i was a disaster with money until i don't know a couple of years ago, actually. Well, me too. Me yeah. too. Yeah. Me too. It took me a while to grow up, too. Yeah, same here. Uh, until 35, basically. Uh, 45. <laughs> oh, there you go. So, I mean, look, it, we get, we hit the time when we hit the time. That's the way it goes. Right. You're right. Yeah. Sure. Um, so the band ends up breaking up in 2006. I think so, yeah. So what happened? Did tensions just get too much? Like, what's going uh, on? Yeah, man, I couldn't keep people. For, for starters, we weren't making enough money to live, and I had a few kids at that point, you know. And, and yeah. It was getting harder and harder to be away from them when, uh, you know, missing things, um, which, you know, that's a whole different story. But, like, a big part of the problem was, like, I just couldn't – we couldn't keep people in the band because Dan had become such not a good person. Yeah. Uh, and I, I finally was kind of over it, too. You know, and and I was like done with it. Like, and he he did a couple things that right near the end, the last year of it. And I was like, dude, you know what? You're screwed, dude. Like, what you're doing is, I'm not, I'm out of here, dude. Like, you're not cool. Oh, you know like, what? I was re- I was reading about it. Didn't he convince you guys to leave your manager? Or there was some weird business stuff. Or- oh no, oh no, that's normal, man. We 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 kind of all wanted to fire. I, I guess we we all kind of wanted to fire that guy. Okay. Um, that was actually the bass player convinced me, convinced all of us to fire him. Ah, um, and he, the guitar player, backed the manager. Oh, which was a big, big rift as well. So I mean, oh, there's, I there's see, so yeah. there's so many roots to the problem of being in a band with that guy. You know, yeah. and, and I don't, I don't wish him any ill will. I just, he, dude, he was just burning bridges to where you know they couldn't be rebuilt anymore. So that was that, man. You know, it was. Uh, Everyone thinks it was like a fireball train wreck, but it really was just more like a fizzle out, if you ask me. So, yeah. Did you do like a final tour, or was there final shows, or did it just end? We we were supposed to play Mexico. Uh, we had a tour of Mexico, and uh, the drummer at that point had had enough of Dan, and he quit. Ah. And it was like right before we were leaving for Mexico, and we couldn't find any drummers, and we got a person to sit in, but he had no idea how to play ska, and uh, it was bad. And then. <laughs> Also, our bass player had left before Ryan had left, but we did get Danny from Against All Authority to play for um, basically what was the last tour. And then he was like, yeah, I'll go to Mexico with you guys and play, of course. And he, even he wanted to pretty much just kill Dan in the end, too. He said if he ever, see, ever ran into him again, he was going to kill him. So, Wow. <laughs> yeah, dude, he just, just the guy wasn't good at making and keeping friends, man, so... Was it just like uh was it just like a bad attitude or something? Like I don't know. Do you read these old tales about uh Weezer where like 
I, Rivers would like charge people money if they were out of tune for a song and stuff. Like, was it just like over no. overbearing like management stuff or what was it? No, I just just not a good individual, man. I just, see. Uh, very narcissistic, man. I can't like put it any other way. Very him, him, him. I got you. Me, me, me. In, yeah. in. Like an Axl Rose type thing or something? Yeah, man. Oh, so more like that. Okay. Yeah, and it pretty much drove every person out of the band. That's like why Derek left. That's why, um, you know, Royce left. Uh, that's why V left. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, we kicked out a couple, we kicked out a drummer before because he wasn't good enough. But, yeah, you know, we also lost the drummer because he went into the Navy. But, like, for the most part, all the people that left that band, they left because of him. That's unfortunate. Yeah, and I was I'd, I was friends with them since we were pretty young, so I just kind of like held on to hope he wouldn't keep turning into a kind of pile of crap, and just kept going that route. You guys still haven't spoken in a while, right? Uh, via email. Okay. Yeah, he lives in uh, he lives in Japan. Oh, in Japan. Was, yeah, I think he was I think he was going to move to Hawaii or something. But I don't know if he ever did. So the band breaks up. Did you break up in Mexico? Uh, it broke up in LA. Oh, at the, in LA. Uh, at, at the Troubadour. So what happened? Was it at a show, or did or did we just like decide that was it? What happened? Ah, uh, yeah. There's a show, and it was uh, you know, he, he whoever rented the guitar head for the tour rented the wrong kind of head, so he couldn't you know change the channel. Yeah. So he could only play clean or only play dirty, and I don't know why he didn't just go to like a guitar center and go get like you know even just a distortion switch or something smart so he just played the most of the set with either distortion or just clean <clears throat> and he was just getting super mad about it and uh we went upstairs and you know we ended early a little bit early shorter set and uh people weren't leaving the club and they're you know la is pretty legendary for getting rowdy yeah. And, uh, and even back, even then they still were. And so people started throwing bottles at the stage Whoa! and wouldn't leave the bar. It's funny because all the Pennywise guys were there too, saw this and, you know, Dan wouldn't go play. He wouldn't go I'm like, dude, let's just do the band song. It's easy. Like and he walked away and oh, like, no. he was really mad. He like told me to fuck off or whatever and walked away. And then of course, you know, I love Danny Lore from against all 30. It's like, you know, fuck him. Let's go down there and play the band song without him. <laughs> so we went downstairs and played it without him and me and, <clears throat> me and him had words in the alley and then he walked down the alley and, and that was it never saw him again oh man yep how is it nowadays when you communicate when you've communicated with him are things better or no nah, he's he's very you know he holds a pretty big grudge you know i mean he as i'm not surprised that he does yeah i think we both started this band together you know yeah but you know it is what it is. When I, you know, when I was originally, when we were first kind of almost calling it quits, I was like, listen, dude, we're on side one. We can do whatever we want, but they'll put out our records forever. We don't need a tour anymore. And it was like, I took away his pass of being a rock star or, you know, living this crazy life of being, you know, girls liking him and being a rock, some rock star. He had, like I said, it was very narcissistic the way he kind of thought about things. I don't think he saw that in himself, Yeah, but he'd become that. And he was looking at me like I took that pass away from him. I see. And so then I was like, look, dude, I can still do this, just not as much, you know, and, and we'll do it. And so this was right before we had signed to side one. And finally, you know, things went well with side one and I didn't have to necessarily get a job. 
that was kind of like the beginning of it like the, the first seed of like he was starting to like you know we'll screw you too yeah bands are hard i mean you're navigating the the personalities of however many people are in the band mm-hmm. yeah and, and like again we, we started that band together so for him to hold a grudge now i mean it, it, i would expect it yeah you i mean you guys are together a long time <laughs> yeah i'm not, i i don't hold a grudge against him yeah you know I've, i even have offered him space to come back and play and, and he refused it so that's that's the way it stands at this point and you'll never see him play with us again so well never say never um no i'm gonna say never. Actually, okay <laughs> okay it's like that yeah you know because uh, things change you know uh, but maybe maybe would, you've you've made a decision it sounds like so i i, I would like to say that they change but they've i changed see. they've they've also changed for the better at the yeah. moment yeah right but you know, i guess you never know what's gonna happen right that's true yeah because i mean uh I used to hold a grudge like nobody's business and I'm getting better at uh, letting things go because I find if, if you drag that shit around for decades, it's, it's just weighing you down. What do they say? Uh, mm. Drinking poison ex- and expecting the other person to die. Yeah, no, that's, that's very, very true. Very yeah. So, true. so the real baller move is to just like, well, forgive and move on, but it's well, hard to, it's hard to do that sometimes. Yeah, yes. Well, the, we, the real, baller move was as i told him hey this is stupid our kids should be playing together we should be hanging out yeah and his response was like you can fuck off oh no you know what i mean and he kind of came around in the end and started being okay kind of ish by emails like he's kind of like well maybe i'm maybe i am being an asshole or something but okay sort of he started to calm down a little bit and in the end it wasn't horrible emailing back and forth yeah you know again like i said i'm like if you want back in you know justin knows you know, and now things have gotten so good at this point, and I love writing with Justin so much. Unless something were to go super bad and awry, I just can't ever see not him being a guitar player at this point. Yeah, it's that it's just kind of grown into that. Yeah, and the band is doing great now. We're back. We've got Revolution Spring, which came out in 2020 on Fat Rack, classic yep. label, great label, right? Yep, treats have done been nothing but amazing to us. That must have been great. That was your first LP since what, like 2005 or something? Yeah, since War Profiteering. Yeah, and the band, the band sounds stronger than ever. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I was pretty happy with that record for sure. And I caught you live for the first time. It was that gig in New York City with a veil and Dead Guy and maybe one other band that I'm forgetting. Uh, oh, it, have- was, uh, it was it was fucking I quit. Yes, yes. That's, that's what it was. Yeah, my my first time seeing you, and I have to say, really impressive live show. Thank you. The energy was fantastic. You were great, and the the crowd was just having so much fun. It was just like a fun, you know, because I yeah. I hadn't really seen a I hadn't really seen a band like yours before live. I've heard plenty of them, but I never saw one. And everyone's doing like the circle pit thing, and every everyone's just having a really great time. It was awesome. Yeah, man. Well, I can tell you this much: I definitely. I must have been in the pit for at least 30, 45 minutes of a veil. So, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That was my first time. Wait, no, that was my second time seeing a veil because I just caught them at Furnace Fest this past year. Ah, yeah, man. I remember seeing a veil in Grand Rapids at this place called the Enclave. And there was legitimately the, the band that opened for them. My roommate that I said loved Green Day. Yeah. And me, and me, and I think maybe Royce from the Suicide Machines. I can't remember who else rode because we rode in an S10 pickup truck. <laughs> So two of us had to ride in the back in the middle of fall. Yeah. It's either early spring or, or fall and it was freezing. So like rode four hours to Grand Rapids. And I remember 
taking the truck back. I like laid in the back of the truck on the way home because I had a car hurt with me. So, you know, we saw a veil like legitimately, I think it was a satiate tour. So that would have to be 1993, 94. Oh, maybe. so that's, that's some OG shit. Yeah, man. It was really cool. It was awesome because they're just as wild then in front of, you know, 10 people. Yeah. You know, as you wouldn't expect someone to be like that, but they were great. That's awesome. Wow. Four hours in the back of a pickup. Yeah, dude. And, and pretty cold temperatures, man. But, you know, hoodie and a car heart, you're good. Exactly. I, and when you're younger, you don't feel the cold as much for whatever reason. Yeah, I hate it now. So, yeah. <laughs> Save me. Um, so how? where do you stand? Where? Where? What is your relationship with the music now? Like, how much do you tour? Is this still what you're doing full time all the time? Um, no, no, not at all, man. I, I remodel uh, like mainly garages for the you know people who have a lot of money that want to make their garages super like swanky. So I usually do that. I've done like you know full on barns and stuff like that too for people. Just you know people have super sick like hot rods and you know or, or their you know their garages now become their flat screen TV room to have a bar and so they can rage watching a, a Michigan game. You know what I mean? Or something like that. But so, yeah, just like remodeling people's garages has kind of been my thing for the past couple of years now. So when you remodel it, what do you do? Are you doing flooring? Are you doing uh, decor? What are you doing? All different. Could be the whole thing. Could be floor walls, you know, cabinetry, all all of it. Or it could be just cabinetry or it could be, hey, we're cutting out the concrete to reinforce it because we got to put a, you know, a hydraulic lift in here for this dude's race car you know, the, could be the whole could be the whole thing. Like we did an airtight room in this woman's barn <clears throat> recently. Like we made one room really nice. Did the floors too, obviously, like polyaspartic, and then we made her other room airtight because she does uh, like art with you know like epoxies and stuff like that. So we made like an airtight room for her. So it, it does get different sometimes. I'm not always doing the same thing, but you know, it's mainly you know someone who has way too much money. <laughs> And they, you know, they, I don't know, I guess they want their garage as nice as the Joneses next door, you know? Yeah, exactly. People really do get competitive with that stuff. Like, you know, my lawn is going to be nicer and my car is going to be nicer. It's wild. We've definitely had that instance. uh, uh, I had, you know, I've had customers from across the street like, oh, you're over here doing their garage now? And I'm like, man, well, they saw what we did in yours. He's like, yeah, well, I can't afford a Lamborghini. So, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you'd be surprised. The houses, like, especially in the Detroit area, even if people have money, aren't like super far apart until you get out way out into the, the sticks of the suburbs, like where those rich people live. Then it's like none of those neighbors talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, they don't even see each other, probably. No, it's bizarre, man. Like when I, uh, when I was growing up, I lived in a really condensed, you know, lower middle class suburb. The houses are right next to each other or on top of each other. And then I made friends later who were kind of rich and you're, you're just in these secret winding roads in the woods that I didn't even know existed. And yeah. the, the other house is so far away. I'm like, Oh wow. So, okay. So that's why these developments are built like this. Now I understand. Yeah, yeah man. I went through this one development way out in an area called Troy and it was like super nice new, you know, development. And they're like, no, you got to cut through the woods outside of this development. I'm like, okay. So we cut through the, the woods outside of this development. And it was like, I was, cruising up and expected to see like, you know, Belle and the beast coming around the corner, singing together or something like <laughs> basically like a castle. It was the, uh, it was the, uh, the head of international affairs from GM. So he lived in Japan for like six years, China for like 10 years, like, you know what I mean? And finally retired and dude, his garage was 
I, I don't even know how big it was. It was like being at like the Henry Ford museum part where the cars are at. And it was seriously like three stories tall, a million like old cars that look like they should be in the Henry Ford and in there. You know what I mean? Like, I honestly, I have a pretty big house and like you easily could have fit maybe three or four of my houses in his house. Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, in his garage, I mean. Joe, just in the garage. Yeah, just his garage. He had, and that wasn't, he had two of them. That was only one of them. Wow. You'd walk, you'd walk under this like brick archway that you could also walk upstairs across through a hallway to the next garage. It was bizarre, man. So like, yeah, you know, people that just have so much money, you know, they don't know what to do with it. Or they got nice cars like that guy where he's like, he's obviously a car collector, which is insane to me. So, so I guess you just tour now when you feel like it or when you can, right? Yeah. The machines don't really tour. We kind of just play a lot of the festivals. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, We were talking about doing a West coast tour, but I don't, I don't think that we're going to do that until maybe we have an, another release out. So, so what's, what's your main gig now? Is it the solo band? Uh, yeah, I do that mostly. Like if there's anyone that's going to like tour tour, it's usually them. Yeah. So, I mean, we've, we've already done a bunch of stuff. We've played like England and Japan and toured the States. And so we have like a West coast tour this year and the East coast Midwest one. So like, that's, I don't know. Plus it's, you know, it's old people's music, so to speak, even though there's a lot of young people coming to those shows. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't have to destroy my body or my voice every night playing for with this band because it's, it's more in the, in the veins of like, you know, two tone and the clash or something. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, that suicide machines gig. I mean, you were really going for it the whole time. That's uh, yeah. strenuous. Yeah. Well, I'm tied to a guitar in the trader, so I can't get too crazy. Exactly. You know, and I'm, you know, at, 50 with a destroyed knee it's it's pretty hard to recover sometimes if you do overdo it is your knee is your knee injured uh, yeah i tore my meniscus a couple of years ago but it's gotten so bad at this point i don't even know what's wrong with it so what's gonna have to happen do you have to get a surgery or something i'm assuming so i'm assuming so my my wife keeps trying to push me in to go get it looked at haven't so, done it yet no i think she's right i'm just yeah she's right but i'm gonna have to go do it this now is the time yeah, maybe, right? Now is the time. New year, new us, right? Oh, yeah, I'm just scared they're going to be like, oh, yeah, we just got to put in a whole new steel knee. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I still I still skate. Once you get a steel knee and there's no skating. You still skate? Yeah. Wow, you're really living on, on the edge. Mm, yeah, it's not smart, maybe, but yeah, I, I still ride. Wow. Well, let's tell the people what we have coming up once again in terms of uh, tours and releases. Where can we see you? Where can we hear you? Um, you can hear, well, you can hear Jane Amaro and the Traders. Uh, we got a record coming out on Bad Times Records, uh, I think in May. It's a like full length. Uh, we're going to be on tour with uh, We Are the Union and Kill Lincoln uh, on the East Coast Midwest. And then on the West Coast, we're going to be on tour with Omnigon from Oakland, California. Um, and then of course, as far as the machines go, I think the only place you're going to see the machines next year is going to be, um, in Miami with against all authority. And then in, uh, at the supernova international Scott festival, I don't think we have plans of, I mean, if something comes up, that's really cool. We're not going to say no, but we don't have any plans for the machines at all really next year. Besides just, we rented a new studio to write in. So So a new, a new, a new room to write, put all our recording equipment in and write. Oh, nice. So w- there will be new music at some point. Yeah, yeah, man. And, and I feel like we've gotten to the point where, you know, 
maybe we can do, I don't want to freak everyone out. People are like, Oh great. Here comes another self title. But like, I feel like we've gotten to the point where I don't think we're ever not going to play punk again or Scott. I just, we can maybe be a little bit different or maybe just a different approach to what we do now. So who knows? I have no idea. I haven't heard any of the songs that anyone has written yet. All I have right now is a bunch of hooks. No, all my stuff just sounds like Scott Punk. So <laughs> I just don't know what those guys are going to bring to the table, you know? Yeah, you just see what the vibe is and uh, you, yeah. you'll know what the right decision is because I got into the band later. <clears throat> so, you know, a- as I went through this discography, I hit self-titled and I'm like, oh, this was really good. But I bet people were some people were mad when this came out. But I don't I don't have like all the history and the baggage, you know? Yeah, a lot, I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, that a lot of people would be surprised that album was never done with Pro Tools. It was all tape. Really? Yeah, man. I had a, it was a rigorous recording, man. Like it was, I had to sing everything. So it was pretty intense. All the, the all the actual orchestration you hear, that's all real. It's wild. I still have all the uh, actual, um, the tablature of all the music for all the, uh, the musicians. Like oh, the, really? You know, yeah. Like anyone who played timpani drums or, you know, cello or, or, you know, anything. I've got like all the, all of it written out still in one of my totes somewhere, but <clears throat> all of that was, that was right before the, you know, the pro tools things really hit. They had it at the studio, but they, they weren't using it yet. They're like, we're not going to use this. Like we're just doing this. And, and I'm glad they did because I mean, that, that, that record really taught me how to like sing, sing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> the, the production on it is great too. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty intense. man. it was, uh, I guess that's when we were talking about like what, you know, living the actual, major label thing like that's kind of a big part of it as well it was a lot of work man that one was work could they punch you in or did you have to do it perfectly yes yes you could punch in you could still cut tape you know all the old school tricks still worked fine you could still they were still doing all that stuff okay the last record i recorded uh, it was in 2017 and they were even offering to punch in drums and i was like no i don't like the sound of that that scares me let's let's try to get one good solid drum take at least yeah, I remember, what was it? I don't remember what record I was working on. I can't remember if it was a Hellmouth record. Was it a Machines record? I don't know who it was. One one of the drummers for either my band Hellmouth or Suicide Machines are like, oh, let's pull up this sample of like Vinnie Paul's, you know, snare drum. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Like, they're like, yeah, we're just going to layer it over this this song in particular, over these parts. And I was like, you joking? <laughs> I, I I feel like it was might have been a Hell- Hellmouth recording. I don't remember. I think it was a Hellmouth recording. Yeah, you can do that. I've done that. I've made songs where I just pull pieces from other songs and put them together. Yeah, it was bizarre. Like, I hadn't really seen that, you know, before. Because, you know, even with, like, a Steelers record, that's all Pro Tools. Yeah. And you can tell it sounds like shit. It sounds like it. Because it was the beginning of Pro Tools, man. I, I'm sorry. Like, people just didn't have it together yet. Trying mm-hmm. to use that and learn learn all that stuff. I mean, nowadays, it's amazing. But... At the time, it was still sort of new, and people are, I think, getting used to how to really do it well. And that's why I hate the sound of that record. I see. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good songs on that record. It just doesn't sound good to me. Um, it's one of the worst sounding records I've ever made. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Regardless of like some of the songs, are a couple of my favorites around there, but man, it's just such a horrible sounding record. Ugh. That being said, like that at that time when we started using Pro Tools, it was like, oh, this is easy. Cool. Like, <laughs> let's go. Like, cake man do you use pro tools do you do like any home demoing stuff no no man i don't i usually go over to um eric's studio from the traders and do stuff or uh ryan v records from the suicide machine so we'll we'll demo with him 
yeah or de- or demo with uh <clears throat> with Eric from the Traders. so I see well Jay uh I want to thank you so much for coming on the show I mean you've created a lot of music that many mm-hmm. of us have enjoyed over the years and this was a great conversation and yeah, cool. uh I just want to say thank you for making the time no no thank you for uh giving a crap And there you have it, Jay Navarro. What a great guy. That was an awesome conversation. You know, just, uh, he's got a lot of great stories. Oh, absolutely. All the fighting Nazis, and I'm still shocked that seeing Gigi Allen on acid, he described as just like a normal punk show. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm just thinking like, complete insanity must have happened, but I guess that's just another day for Jay, you know, back in the day. And uh, yeah. I wasn't uh, too familiar with the suicide machines before seeing them back in October. And I got to say, I was so really impressed because if you would have said like ska punk band, I would have been like, no, I'm good. But <laughs> the crowd was really happy. Everybody was just, it was just like really fun. And Jay really commands the stage. Like he is a, he is a force on stage. He had the energy up the whole time. He was awesome. And he's just so personable. You know, like I I felt like I was talking to someone I had known for years when I knew him. He gives it to you straight and I wish him all the best. Yeah. Jay Jay is an awesome guy. All the years he's been doing this and all the things that the suicide machines have been through, like none of it's phased him to the point where it's like he doesn't want to do it anymore. I think even talking about being 50 and needing his knee checked out because he wants to still skateboard and stuff like that just goes to show you like it doesn't matter how old you get like he's it's still a part of his life and it's still something he wants to be doing yeah yeah he's a lifer for sure i also found it really interesting how as you know everybody's major introduction to the suicide machines whether you're into ska punk or not really came from i feel like tony hawk pro skater i knew of them prior to that i think through the compilations and stuff like that but it's just crazy that you you grow up with that game. You know the song. Everybody, it doesn't matter what you listen to, you pretty much know that that song, New Girl. And then to hear him like, oh, you know, I, I build people's garages for them. I do this as a career. It just it's such a weird. You picture that guy doing that thing. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, you know, even before I had any clue who they were, I would always see battle hymns like that album yeah. cover. Like I, I, I would always see that on shirts, and that—that's kind of like an iconic image. Yeah, battle hymns was like. I mean, I think that's where a lot of people that didn't stay up to date with the band kind of dropped off. But it was just like the first two Suicide Machine records were very big for just that—that that smaller music scene, like the non-radio. Just you know, dig through bands' thank you list and find other bands where. I mean, they they broke with Destruction by Definition, and then that follow-up of Battle Hymns, a lot of people really latched onto that band. And even if it lost some people where it was more of the hardcore punk kind of vibe than the ska stuff, like, it was everywhere. It was just everywhere. Jay is a great person. So thank you, Jay, for coming on the show. That was awesome. So, Joe, let's talk about our favorite subject, us. How are we doing now? Let me catch you up, Joe, on the last decade. Uh, I moved out of Philly a complete mess. 
And then I stayed a mess for quite some time. And now I am straight edge by necessity, as I like to say. Now, as a fellow edge man, I know you love that. I mean, I didn't judge you back in a day out. I wouldn't judge you now. I'm happy to hear that. It's it's always difficult for people to get through their struggles and see the other side, I feel like. Yeah. And I I couldn't be more proud of you. I'm I'm stoked to see the things that you bring to this world as far as the podcast. I know you've been working on music projects in the past. Uh, I think you even tried to get me involved in one of them. Yes. So it's no, it's it's awesome to to see where your life's changed in the last 10 years. Yeah. You know, now that you mention it, I'm surprised I had as many friends as I did back then because I was such a mess, but I didn't like steal from anybody or fuck too many people over, <laughs> I think. So I had that going for me. Yeah. I think a lot of people we knew to mutually were messes as well. So it's just like, <laughs> it just kind of all blended together. <laughs> I love it. Well, how are you doing? Lay it on us. Um, I, it's hard for me to sum the last 10 years because there's been a lot of ups and downs and I don't think any podcast is long enough to get into the details of the downs and stuff. Nothing like being a mess, just kind of like, you know, ups and downs of relationships, loss of, you know, family, friends and stuff like that through death. But lately, I mean, I, I have zero complaints in the world. I had to move my entire apartment unit over the weekend due to a plumbing issue, which was, you know, aggravating in its own way, but it's done. What happened? You got flooded out or something? Yeah, we, we got flooded out by um, our upstairs neighbor and our neighbor behind us, basically. Like two related but unrelated situations where our neighbors behind us would do their wash and our sink would overflow with like mud water up to like eight and a half inches high. Which it, it stunk. It was just you would be you would be sitting down eating dinner and you just hear this like gurgling sound go into the kitchen. It's like oh cool, our, our our sink's flooded again. And something similar with our upstairs neighbor where she would do her wash and our washer and dryer would be pouring like dirty water from underneath it. Wow. Yeah, it was it wasn't fun. Um, moving to a completely different unit was definitely an upgrade in a lot of ways that we've been learning in the last week or so. But it's just. You don't really get home from work on a Friday night expecting to spend your entire weekend moving. Well, uh, moving is one of the worst things to do in the world, and I haven't had to do it in a while, so I'm happy about that. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't recommend it if you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, it's good to talk to you again. It has been a, a very long time, but we're still connected on social media, so I feel like I get a, a sense of what's going on, and uh, it's good to see th good things happening. And speaking of good things happening, I know your band, Take Today, has been up to a lot of great stuff lately. Give us some history about the band and tell us what's going on, Joe. All right. So we started the band, or I started the band, way back in 2003 after my old band broke up. And it was kind of like, this is the thing I want to do and this is always going to be thing, the thing I do as far as like music. Like, If my band breaks up it's because I decided to break it up, not like letting other people kind of control the path you go, I guess, when it comes to music, because we've all been in bands, we love what we do, and then the band falls apart, and then we never get to do it again. And it's just like, man, I really miss having that. So it was one of those things where from the beginning, it's just like, this is this is the project I'm going to go all out on. Um, throughout the years, we had lineup changes, recorded music, played shows, nothing like too serious as far as like going out on the road or like playing a ton ton of shows it's just 
it was just always that constant, like, all right, I'm working on some music. We're going to hit the studio, play some shows. We're going to take some time off, go back to it, back and forth kind of thing. The pandemic really shuttered a lot of what we were doing because we were getting really busy with like, you know, a lot of localized Jersey shows all over the state. But everything came to an end with the pandemic and we kind of just didn't think about the band for a while. And as everything kind of got back to normal, studio opened back up, shows were happening again. We just kind of jumped in the seat and stuck our foot to the floor as far as the gas pedal and had a busy 2022. Um, we did a lot of recording, the stuff that wasn't finished because I have a really bad track record with not finishing stuff in the studio and then coming back and forth to it throughout the years. Played a lot of shows. Um, we put out a, a vinyl record for the first time. Oh, nice. Yeah, that, that's a bucket list for me growing up in you know, the music scene the way I have being 40. You know, it's it's one of those things where you you grow up buying records, CDs, cassettes and going to local shows or bigger shows and picking up seven inches and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, I want to do that. So we set out to make that a goal and accomplished it. So, yeah, we we got a lot of stuff kind of like planned out for the new year. But I think we're going to take a completely different approach instead of being as hectic with shows and stuff like that i think we're going to kind of target our our goals a little tighter i guess you played the unitarian church recently with Catbite, correct yes that was unbelievable i had gone to the the first unitarian church for the first time in uh 2001 to see hot water music hot rod circuit q not you and i think every show i ever went to at the church since then was like a major influence of mine whether it been lifetime cave-in, uh, small brown bike, bands like that. So to finally have the opportunity to play a show there, which the show did really, really well. I think it was two-thirds filled. It was it was an experience. Um, you know, I feel like for guys like us, you kind of feel like the older you get, the less opportunity there is to do these things. Yep. And there was definitely a point before, you know, before the end of our set where I, I stood there playing our songs, looking out into the crowd and realize like, you know what? I'm so glad that I can do this still. And like, if this is the last thing I do, I'm just going to leave it all out there. And thankfully it's not the last thing I'm going to do. That's amazing. I was very happy to see you guys on that show. And cause you know, like still playing that venue is something I really want to do one day somehow. And I figured uh, you were very happy to be doing it as well because yeah, it's iconic. Yeah, it's absolutely iconic. It's like, like I said, seeing so many of my major influences from my teens up until even now, I listen to so many of those bands still. It's just to be able to say I've played the church and, you know, South Jersey, Philly's, you know, connected scene to be able to be a part of that. It's just like, wow, I, I, I guess I accomplished something in a way that, Maybe it's trivial to other people, but to me, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, what else do you got going on? You, ha I saw, did you guys put out like a ska record or ska influence record? What was that? So we, so it's, it's kind of like a long story, but I won't make it as long. Um, <laughs> it, with, with the way the pandemic was, a lot of bands seemed to really like pick up on Twitter as far as like interacting and everything like that. And so we got to know a couple of these current like ska punk bands that are out there much in the vein of like suicide machines and whatnot. And uh, one of my now friends that I connected through Twitter had told me about his band joystick. 
their New Orleans uh, ska punk band. And I heard their record and was just completely blown away. It was one of those things where like, I'm kind of like most people and I dropped off at the whole ska thing ages ago. And not that I didn't like it. It was just kind of like, it wasn't interesting enough for me. And then such a long time in my life being involved with music, I felt like I was just kind of staying current to what I was into or what I was listening to regularly. So I heard this record and it just completely floored me as far as what this band was doing. It's like an evolution of everything I grew up on, ska punk, but better. Like it was more hardcore at place. It was more punk at places. Like it just caught me by surprise to the point where I made like a a promise to those guys on Twitter where I said, you know what, because of you guys, I'm going to put out a ska punk EP as a thank you for putting out such a great record. And we did not do that. <laughs> we What we ended up doing was we, we reworked one of our own songs as a ska punk version, but because we didn't have time to write anything because of just the way things were, the pandemic and whatnot, we decided to do a cover song. Now doing a cover song as a, like, as far as ska punk goes, it's, kind of difficult for our type of band because it's like what do we sound like if we were a ska band what makes the most sense like you could see us covering the get up kids or you know small brown bike or a band a band that makes sense to the way our band sounds like yeah so i basically just took it back to i think the first major ska punk influence on me was was which was the band link 80 so we did a cover of their song Up to the Top, which is the first song I fell in love with as far as Link 80 goes. The recording process was crazy because we did another EP at the same time. So we recorded six songs, but we split it up where the ska stuff was going to be a separate release. We went into the studio with no idea if we were going to have horns or anything like that. And through that connection through Twitter and the, that ska punk scene becoming a part of that uh, in a way, we were able to get horns from uh, members of the band Flying Raccoon Suit and Joystick, who actually influenced our decision to do any ska punk. Um, becoming friends with Catbite, we were able to get them to lend vocals to both songs and just other other friends through the process, I guess, of trying to figure it out came out with that. So, yeah, it's just the two songs we put out on a um, cassette through Ska Punk International small label out of uh, the Dallas area in Texas, who we uh, spent a lot of time uh, coming up with ideas and trying to see what the best route is, I guess. Joe, tell us where we can see Take Today. Are you playing any gigs? Where can we come see you? So we have a, a tour coming up in March where we're going to do a run through Texas. Um, we're waiting on information as far as Nashville on the way, but March 8th through 12th, we're going to be doing the 8th in Nashville, Tennessee, the 9th in Denton, Texas. The 10th and 11th were in Austin for uh, SPI Fest, which is the label that put out our ska stuff on cassette, Ska Punk International. They're doing a two-day fest, which has Tsunami Bomb, The Toasters, Joystick, Flying Raccoon Suit, about like 20 different bands, including ourselves. And then the 12th, we're going to be playing San Antonio, Texas with uh, The Toasters and Tsunami Bomb for a second time. So... Um, nothing, nothing local, but we're doing a little run through Texas, which will be nice to do kind of like our first, uh, real tour. Nothing, nothing too long, but get our feet wet and get away from home. That's amazing. Isn't that a great thing to be able to say like no local shows, but we are doing a tour of Texas. 
<laughs> I mean, we'll we'll do local shows at some point. It's just I think part of 2022 doing so much throughout the the region. It was kind of like, all right, how do we how do we get out there a little bit more than just playing North Jersey, South Jersey, Philly, North Jersey, South Jersey, Central, <laughs> if you believe it exists. I hear you. Well. Awesome. There is plenty to look forward to. I love that. Where can we find you online, Joe? Where can we find more in Take Today news? You can find Take Today on Instagram or Twitter. Our handle's at Take Today. We're on Facebook, taketoday.band. We're streaming everywhere, including Bandcamp, which is taketoday.bandcamp.com. My personal Instagram or Twitter is at Joseph M. Edwards. I don't really post about anything interesting other than maybe a little peeks behind the scene of what the band's doing and stuff like that. But if you want to follow, you're more than welcome to. Oh, and in the end of the show here, I want to mention, you know, last week I did a little memorial for TJ DeBlois. He was a uh, Philadelphia drummer, friend of mine, friend of many who passed away. And uh, yeah, that was really hard to do. <laughs> like, I the full weight of his death didn't hit me until I recorded that memorial and then shut off the microphone. And then after that, I just started crying and like I was a mess. I was a mess. That's when like the full weight of that hit me. But my friend Vadim Taver has curated a mix on Bandcamp of many many bands that TJ was in. So I encourage everyone if you want to hear his work. Go check that out at tjdebloitribute.bandcamp.com or just Google search tjdeblois bandcamp and the mix will come up. He w- he did early demos with Circus Survive, Like Lions, Halfway to Holland. The list goes on and on. And it's a great mix. Uh, rest in peace, TJ. Thank you, Vadim, so much for putting together that mix. And, you know, some of you reached out to say thanks for doing the memorial and saying nice things about him. And look, I mean, it's the least I could do. Uh, I'm really going to miss him. So, yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, it's, it's so hard to lose somebody. Um, I think what you did is such a great way to honor your friend and just what everybody's doing. Like, death, like, is such a thing that we just don't seem to really, I guess, embrace the the thought of, I guess. Like, we don't expect to one day just get the news that we lost somebody that we spent so much time of our, our life with. And I experienced a lot of that throughout 2019. And I, I can tell you, like, the best way to keep that person's memory alive is keep talking about them, keep celebrating the things they do, and just never let them be forgotten. Yeah. I know you uh, you lost a cousin, correct? Yeah, I lost a couple cousins last year. Um, it's it's kind of scary when you think about it because there's 19 of us grandkids and they were the first two of the 19. So it's like it hits our generation that, you you know, you think about yourselves and your, your other cousins. It's like, wow, like what do we got to do now to make sure we're all okay? Because, again, like tragic deaths, sudden deaths like that, you 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 learn in hindsight how much – you want to tell that person how much you want them to know you appreciated your time with them and it's too late. And I think, at least to me, I think the b- most important thing is to do that now. Talk to your friends, tell them like how awesome they are, how much you appreciate them. And just like, you know, we all have our ups and downs in life. We go through dark periods. We have the good times and stuff like that. But, you know, we wouldn't be who we are today without the people that have been in our lives, good or bad. That's a great way 
to summarize it. Yeah, I was on the phone with a couple people this week. I just wanted to talk to some friends from that era and from a little while ago. And, you know, I, I just needed that connection. So, yeah. Yeah. Tell the people you love, you love them while they're still here. More often. I mean, it's 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 like the thought of like, you know, everybody goes to a funeral and we we talk about how much that person meant to us. And it's just like, why don't we do it now? Why do we wait till they're gone? Like, let's do it now. Like, let's make sure people know that what they're doing. Like, it's I, people I, I feel like get too concerned about ego or like blowing up someone's head too much about what they do. And it's just like, now, like, tell people, like, like I said early on, like, I'm so I'm so stoked to see what you're doing with the podcast and seeing that you're getting back into doing another band. It's like, I've known you for a long time. And even though we've lost touch with one another, it's just like, dude, I'm proud of you. I'm stoked for you. And I'm looking forward to the things you do because it's like, you're contributing something to our, our existence at least, you know, like, yes. will, will these podcasts still be out there when we're long gone? Who knows? But like, as far as right now, like we're, we're part of something that the best we can do is just make it better for everyone else. That's right. And they will still be out there. I will set up in my will that someone keep paying the hosting fees. So I will be there forever. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> it's a good thing. Uh, uh, they're just going to have to deal with me. Well, Joe, it was great to catch up with you. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. This was awesome. Thanks for having me, Keith. Uh, I was really stoked to do this. So that's it. That's it for this episode. We're out of time. We are going to end the show with Skydiving by Take Today. And you can also find that track and many more on our new scene 2023 Spotify playlist. I'm back next week with a new episode and a new guest. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time. 